BuzzFeed's Internet Explorer is a podcast that contains adult themes. Mainly, I will be talking a lot about how I used to masturbate as a teenager. So I'm just going to throw that out there. If you don't want to listen to me, you know, wax poetically about how I used to wax myself, um, you know, go find another podcast. I don't want to listen to that, Ryan. I might actually tune out during this. While we're talking, I might just like plug my ears and go, no, 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 don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. It all started in my family's computer room. You remember computer rooms, Katie? Oh, no, 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 don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. Nope, 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 nope. She was the prettiest cartoon girl I'd ever seen. Oh. Hello, welcome to another episode of BuzzFeed's Internet Explorer. Today is another episode in our Years That Changed the Internet series. That's right. Ryan, are you excited? Do you have your podcasting pants on? Well, I mean, you know that I don't have any podcasting pants. That's how I do this show, uh, completely pantsless. That's what I was talking about. Oh, yeah. I, I basically look, every, every time I do a podcast, I'm basically dressed from the waist down like that novelty lamp from a Christmas story. <laughs> like, I'm just wearing, like, really nice, sexy, 1950s-style women's pantyhose. Um, that's funny, because, I, I mean, I'm wearing normal clothes, but our engineer, Paul Ruesses, that's exactly what he wears every day. And this is his studio, so, like, for him, he, this is where he works, you Yeah, know? no, he, I mean... But he treats it like his home, you know? It's, it's beautiful. Katie, you don't get dressed up, but we do let you do all your podcasting from your adult-sized reinforced crib. I'm in my business diaper. It's a pinstripe diaper. Yeah, your business diaper, yeah. We're going to be talking about the year 2005, a year that changed the internet, uh, for better or worse. Um, we're going to have a bunch of people come on and talk about that, uh, people from that era, people who are reflecting on that era. Uh, we're going to have Tila Tequila, which is amazing, and uh, gossip website Maven. Perez Hilton, also amazing. Uh, we're going to have Professor Anne Helen Peterson, an expert in celebrity gossip, and also Nicole Milfie, who is an amateur expert in celebrity gossip. Uh, 2005 was a weird year. I was I was in high school. I was I was a really shitty message board goon. Uh, that's that was basically how I spent 2005, just being a dick on like ska message boards and stuff, and like webcomic message boards. Well, personally, I feel like 2005 was really the year that like. I fell in love with the internet in a lot of ways. I mean, mm. so I was 24. Um, you know, I was like two years out of college. And um, that's really when I, you know, I sort of spent a lot of quality time just hanging out on the net just for fun. And, you know, there was all these factors going in that were making being on the internet a great place to waste a bunch of hours. I feel like 2005... Was the was like the the very beginnings of a lot of things that are are just taken for granted on the internet. You know, um, like lots of weird shit launched, like YouTube launched. Yeah. Like thanks for that, Satan. You know, whoever made that. Um, and then, you know, fa I remember Facebook was just starting on the scene, but like I couldn't get it because I was in high school and it was like only for college kids. I was on MySpace still. I was like, ugh, like there's not. I don't need another social networking thing in my life. I already have MySpace. Like whatever. Um. You know, this is really peak MySpace, which yeah. we'll get into a little bit later. Yeah. Flickr is new and huge at this time. It had just gotten bought by uh, Yahoo in 2005. It was founded in 2004. Flickr would become one of my favorite social networks ever, mainly because you could search for, like, pictures of strangers' lives, which... Yeah, I was going to say, Katie, you're like... 
You're probably the biggest fan of Flickr that I've ever met. I, I am. I am the number one Flickr stan. <laughs> Flickr also had a lot of things, sort of features in it that mo- like current social networking is built on, like tagging other people. The idea that photos are the most important currency. Um, you know, we know that now. We look at Instagram and you're like, oh, duh. Like people don't want to fill out a profile with all their likes and dislikes. They just want to share pictures. 2005 was also really the year for me personally that I discovered 4chan. Um, A friend showed it to me and I was like, okay, well, this is my life now. Right. (laughs) I'm in. Oh, yeah, it changed my life. I mean, I say it changed my life. It ruined my life. And speaking of ruining people's lives, um, 2005 was also a really big year for the online gossip industry. You know, because TMZ launched in 2005 and Perez Hilton. He started his site, which at the time in 2004, when he launched it, it was called page666.com, which is so cool. I think the internet nowadays is so much nicer than I remember it being in 2005. Oh, of course. Yeah. Back then, it wasn't just that people were going to be mean to you. It was that the majority wanted to watch people be mean to each other, which is like sort of kind of crazy to think about in the context of today. So one of the other, the huge things that has permanently changed the internet that launched in 2005 was YouTube. Right. The accessibility of video content for the first time was just absolutely, completely changing to the internet. And it also created the first viral video stars. And one of my personal favorites, because I think we need a little a little tune to play us out, is uh, actually from 2007, but... whatever. A beautiful song called Chocolate Rain um, with Tay Zonday. And uh, we're going to have Tay Zonday tell us a little bit about what advice he would give to his former pre-viral self. Chocolate rain. Some stay dry and others feel the pain. I would say to be very focused on your brand. Know who your audience is, know what your shtick is, and submit to being derivative. Ultimately, that consistency pays off. We have joining us Nicole Milfie. Hey! Hey, Nicole, how you doing? I'm doing well. Nicole is, I would describe her as, the internet's foremost expert on Tila Tequila. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, You are an expert in celebrity gossip. Yeah. I feel like... It's kind of weird to say when people are like, (laughs) so what do you do? I'm like, I just kind of like track the messiest of the messiest (laughs) celebrities and just kind of track them down from the beginning. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's that's what I do. And you have actually put together like a Tila Tequila documentary that's on Vimeo. Yeah, it was an amateur film that I did about six months ago. It's on Vimeo. It's about a two-hour long amateur documentary on all of Tila Tequila's life in the context of it all. What is it about Tila Tequila that made her interest you? Well, what's so fascinating about Tila Tequila foremost is that she's one of the first internet stars. I mean, to us now, that doesn't really mean anything. That's kind of been diluted and watered down over the years, what it means to be an internet star. But Tila Tequila was one of the first. So sort of take me through what 2005 Tila Tequila is. Like, what's going on? Okay, so... 
the whole thing with MySpace is it created a kind of subculture of micro-celebrity. This is the term that they used before internet celebrity or Vine star or whatever. Mm. It became a micro-celebrity. You mean, outside of the internet, you had people changing what it meant to be a celebrity already, like Paris Hilton, Nicole Richie. But then you had this subculture online of people that didn't have those resources or avenues but wanted that so they created that for themselves online so insert myspace 2005 it's kind of interesting because when myspace first launched keela would be in your top five friends we all remember top five she would be that first person in your top five because she was one of the first to have a myspace and then reality tv started happening in kind of late 2005 and who better than to put on a television than this girl that's made a name for herself on the internet and she was really crazy she was just a star. No one really knew why, but she really just was. Yeah, she. I mean, she has, like, in addition to being, like, you know, extremely beautiful and this real, like, bombshell, like, she's right. got, like, a charisma. Right, it makes you want to watch. And especially the more messy she gets, it's kind of like watching a train about to crash. You just can't take your eyes off of it. Yeah. And to a lot, it was fascinating for people because before MySpace... In terms of content, no one had control over content. You had to wait for TV to upload it. You had to wait for, you know, some type of outlet to upload it. So when you have someone as cuckoo, as crazy as Tila, with the upload button right there, and you could just press record, I mean, she just bare her, she bared her soul and would put it online. I despise doing interviews on camera like this. Because <laughs> I'd rather be jerking off and <laughs> sucking my own tits or something. <laughs> And then she got her own reality show, which was kind of like, at the time, an internet star having a reality show, especially the content of the reality show being like, you know, I like girls and guys. It was crazy for everybody. It was like a new concept. Like, oh, my God, there's this crazy wild chick from MySpace, like making out with girls and guys on TV. People just didn't know how to handle it. So the show was called A Shot at Love with Teal Tequila. Um, obviously, shot tequila, get it. Um, and the premise was because Teal is bisexual, it was like The Bachelor, but the contestants were both men and women. Right. So what? how do you see the legacy of Teal Tequila when you're looking at social media stars today? Like someone who's like, you know, famous on Instagram or something. The legacy of people like personalities like Tila, that's what makes her era and her legacy so golden because you don't really see it anymore. Everything is so controlled. The content is so controlled and manufactured now. There is no messy aspect about it. It's too clean cut. It's too perfect. You know, people are literally scheduling Instagram posts, you know what I mean? And so that's what makes her legacy and her moment such a moment. You don't really see that anymore, which is why her legacy is so, it's such a golden, such a golden, beautiful time of the internet because there was so much room for drama and mess because nothing was perfect. Nothing was scheduled. You didn't have people like advertising for tea. It was just, it just was what it was. And if you were crazy, we would see it full front, 100%. Uh, Nicole, thank you so much uh, for coming thank on so and talking with us. Everyone follow Nicole at Nicole Milfi on Twitter. She's the queen of gossip. The queen of mess. The queen of mess. I'm here uh, for all your messy needs. <laughs> here for all your messy needs. Trust me, you will not regret it. Welcome, Tila. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. We are so excited to have you. 
Awesome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so, Tila, I wanted to start off with a couple uh, sort of fun game questions. So these are these are would-you-rathers. You have to pick one. Okay. So would you rather use, for one month, a 2005 flip phone or wear the same pair of gym socks for a week? I think the flip phone's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I miss those things. <laughs> Um, I do too in a way. I I do too in a way. Yeah, I don't want any you know nasty and you know bacteria or whatever. <laughs> like the athlete's foot or you know dirty gym socks. <laughs> okay, so second one. Who would you rather sit next to on a twelve-hour flight? Perez Hilton or Harvey Lovin of TMZ? <laughs> Did you say Harvey? Or yeah, Harvey? yeah, Harvey. <laughs> Harvey, yeah, because I'd ask him for all, like, the, the scoops on everything. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I was thinking about this earlier. I was like, I, he definitely knows way more about everything than ever gets published on the site, and I would want to know everything. Yeah, he would be, like, <laughs> my, you know, on-site televisions. Okay, um, so the last one is, are you familiar with the game Fuck, Mary Kill? So it's going to be three people, and you have to choose one to fuck, one to marry, and one to kill. Ew. What about if I'm celibate? <laughs> I can't fuck anyone. So the idea is even though you might not want to do any of those to any of these people, you just have to pick one because the other option is you can't do it to, you know, all of them. All right. So the three people are Tom Anderson from MySpace, Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook, and Steve Jobs, the former CEO of Apple, but of course when he was alive, not now when he's dead. <laughs> okay, so I fuck uh, Steve Jobs because he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I fucked him to death. <laughs> and I, um, I'd have to marry Tom because, you know, if, if I didn't marry him, then there would be no MySpace, there would be no me today, and I would have to kill Mark. <laughs> because this is like I'm so over Facebook. <laughs> Fair enough. So let's let's talk about MySpace. How did you get on it originally? So one one thing that I've heard is that Tom personally reached out to you. He knew you were really popular in Friendster and asked you to join his new website. Yeah, um, they they had rules on Friendster, and you could only have like a five thousand friend limit or whatever. And I was too popular. And I kept having to delete people or they kept deleting my pages. So that's when Tom reached out to me and was like, hey, come to my space. You know, we won't you can have as many friends as you want, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I got on there and nobody was on there, really. And I felt really, you know, left out because all the cool kids were on Friendster. (laughs) So I felt like, you know, I'm going to get my vengeance. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I mass emailed everyone and said, hey, guys, join MySpace. And then literally overnight, I had all of my cool friends, you know, because they're cool. <laughs> so all the cool kids literally joined MySpace because I was on there. And from there, just like really grew. And then uh, MySpace also had all of these new features that Friendster did not have, which is, you know, you know, we could create our own little, you know, the fun little pages and designs mm-hmm. that we could make and all that cool stuff. So, and then it just got really out of control from there, and it just grew. How many people did you have, like at whatever, like, the height of MySpace was? Like, how many millions of friends did you have? Um, I think I had, like, over a million something, and that was the first time ever, I guess, in online social media history that a person was, you know, I was the first person to ever capitalize on social media that way because before 
MySpace. I mean, there wouldn't have been a MySpace if it was, if there wasn't a me. Because most people were like, don't add me unless I know you kind of mentality. Yeah. So in my opinion, like you created this insanely brand new thing. You were the first social media star. Like no one had ever used a social media platform to get people to know who they were other than their, you know, circle of friends. Do you ever feel like you weren't given the credit for creating this concept of what it means um, to be a social media star? Yeah, because, I mean, because if it wasn't for what I started, you know, uh, with catapulting everything into what it is today, there would not be, you know, like the Kim Kardashians of the Internet or mm. whatever, and, you know, the Kanye's and all these people now utilizing the Internet, you know, to, to, to be what it is today. What what? How do you feel about social media now? Now it's definitely it definitely lost its magic from when it first happened when you know MySpace was around and it was still brand new and um, because now it's become really diluted and it's a, it's a full of trash. I think the internet's like it's where you go to throw away trash. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, because back then it was like actually new and and you know it's like it's like finding the new America sailing across the ocean. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's like, wow, let's build this new land and see what comes of it. And and, and now, today, it's like, ew, look what's come out of it. <laughs> yeah. So, Tila, if you could give advice, if there was like a time machine and you could give some advice to yourself back in the year 2005 from what you know today, what would you say to yourself then? Oh, I would say don't worry about anything because everything happens for a reason and you're going to be all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're going to be all right. Tila, thank you so much. We really uh, appreciate you calling in and talking to us. Thank you for having me. So one of the things that Ryan and I were talking about earlier that was one of the huge changes in 2005 is the concept of digital celebrity gossip. Ryan is well, he's not an expert in this, uh, so we wanted to bring in a real expert. Also, Ryan is on vacation during the time that we did this interview. <laughs> um, so uh, we have today Anne <laughs> Helen Peterson, Ph.D., uh, joining us. She is literally a professor of celebrity gossip. And thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it is absolutely my pleasure to be here. <laughs> so sort of set the scene, like, how was it that this year that all these factors lined up for the year 2005 for all of a sudden the two most like important forces of celebrity gossip, TMZ and Perez Hilton, to develop sort of at the same time in the same year, but also be sort of wildly different? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a whole ton here. And very simply put, it's that you had – the print magazines, like the print gossip magazines that had basically decided that they didn't care about the internet. Mm -hmm. They had like tiny, tiny web presences. And at the same time, you had the development of digital photography, digital video, which was very important to TMZ and would made it possible for those images to proliferate online. Mm -hmm. So you had like this vacuum essentially where like the traditional gossip mavens weren't doing gossip online. And then also the development of blogs, which was really isolated to the political establishment at first. But then you could take those technologies and combine them with digital photography and people just like blogging out of their basements, which was what Perez was doing. So I think that like what 
I remember being just so riveting about when these sites came out, and I just like uh, checked them obsessively. Oh, yeah, me like too. I'd be, you know, I was working an office job. I was just checking them all day. Yep, um, refreshing, finding out the latest thing. It was amazing, and I never thought I was really into celebrity gossip. Yeah, me neither. Until all of a sudden, these sites came out, and it was so refreshing to have, especially with Perez Hilton, this like snarky viewpoint mm-hmm. um which was completely different from the way that people magazine or us magazine was you know yeah. it was it was making fun of the celebrities it was not treating them like they were gods and goddesses it right. was being like oh like i'm gonna draw some jizz coming out of their mouth yeah or whatever. and the jizz and like <laughs> different i don't know different things that he would put onto the photos using just like completely rudimentary Photoshop tools, mm-hmm. again, wouldn't have been possible without like new media technologies, like the digital manipulation of photos. But it made the aesthetic, like it really was, it was so flip. It was so snarky. Mm-hmm. And it was a different posture towards celebrity, which really hadn't been the way that people had thought about celebrities since like the 1950s. Yeah. And that was, that was so much the tone of the internet in general mm-hmm. in 2005, right? Yeah. Like that sort of like the peak gawker snark yep. kind of voice. And that was, you know, it just, it felt like, oh, this is exactly what this anti-establishment vibe is. Yeah. Someone on the outside looking in is appeals to me so much. Yeah. You know? And like, that's the fascinating thing about like people like Perez is he was completely outside of the establishment. You know, he hadn't, he didn't have any connections with publicists. Same thing with TMZ. Like TMZ will never talk to a publicist. Mm-hmm. And so they have no interest in towing the publicist line, at least at the time. Like Perez's blog has gone through several iterations since then. I mean, it also was, this is this peak time for like the concept of a celebrity who's famous for doing nothing, like a Paris Hilton yeah. or a Brandon Davis. And partly because, yeah, they weren't doing anything interesting in terms of like they didn't act in any movies or perform or anything like that. But if you could get them on video, they behaved outrageously and mm-hmm. they were just so compelling to watch. Right. I have a lot of questions about that. And I think that there is only one person who can fully answer these questions. Oh my God, who? Um <laughs> Coming up in a bit, uh, we are going to talk to Perez Hilton and figure out why 2005 was the year that it was possible to make an insanely profitable celebrity gossip blog out of your basement. Perez Hilton, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Hello. So let's travel back in time to 2000 and I guess actually technically 2004. Okay. You started a blog. Why? I mean, that's the question, right? The, the honest answer is it seemed easy and fun. When I started, I didn't want to talk about myself mm-hmm. because I'm boring. I wanted to talk about celebrities because they're not all of them, but a lot of them are very crazy. And it just was my natural interest. Like I have always been fascinated by pop culture and celebrity. Mm-hmm. And when I started I didn't think anybody was reading my website. And then flash forward a few months after that, and in February of 2005, this TV show called The Insider rang me up and said, hey, we're doing this segment on Hollywood's most hated website. (laughs) How would you feel being included amongst this? And how would you feel about 
being number one, the most hated website in Hollywood. And I instantly said, well, I don't think I'm hated, but if you're going to put me on TV, heck, yeah, call me whatever you want. <laughs> Let's do it. I'll, I'll be the number one most hated website in Hollywood. And for years, that used to be my tagline, com, Hollywood's most hated website. One of the themes that has come about when we've been talking about the difference between 2005, even like 2010 and today, is that the Internet was a much, much meaner place. And that the general stance of the internet kind of was like, it's okay to be a shitheel to other people. Um, and I know that your site has had this sort of radical transformation of it started off by mainly kind of shitting on celebrities. And now it's a lot of, it's a lot nicer. Well, you know, in many ways, I just got back to who I originally was. Like, I began my website because I... I'm a fan mm -hmm, right. and I went from being a fan to being a hater and I don't have to like everything that somebody does, but I don't need to call a celebrity ugly or I don't need to call them stupid or any of the other juvenile and just awful things I used to say in the past. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for many people and in many ways, the internet still is a, a negative and dark place, but I also think it's a positive place. Like there's, it's huge. <laughs> the internet's like the planet. There's room for everything. And I don't necessarily think that only the scandal or negative or nude photos um, get a lot of attention. There's mm -hmm. positive things, heartwarming things, crazy things, shocking things, cat videos that, that people also love and gravitate towards. And the thing about the internet, like people and the world is that it's constantly changing and evolving. Uh -huh. The internet of today is different than the internet of last month. So what I was going to say is that there was this almost uncanny moment that happened in 2005 in which you became a celebrity. And I'm referring to like when you, when Paris essentially like invited you to be part of that world. And I just, I remember like you posting photos that you had taken on your camera to the site. And it was like, Somehow, I mean, it's enacting this dream of, like, every person who's ever, like, blogged or, like, you know, had been a fan of a celebrity that you are somehow, like, invited into that world. But I wonder if, like, now that it's been 10 years since then, what was that like, that moment when you suddenly, like, were meeting your maker almost? It was, it was truly, I would say, a huge part in the success of my website. I wouldn't say it was the most important thing. The most important thing in the success of my website was the mainstream media talking about me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like being sued by the New York Post ended up being an awesome thing because it forced me to become my own brand. Mm -hmm. Instead of becoming that dude from that website, I then became Perez from PerezHilton.com. I became my brand and I treated myself like a brand from that moment. And, you know, people at the beginning were always telling me, oh, Paris Hilton is using you for publicity and she's using you so you say nice things about her. Mm -hmm. And I wish I could have said this back then, but I couldn't, uh, which is, duh, 
crap. Can I curse on this? Can I yeah, curse? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, duh. No shit. Like, of course I knew she was fucking using me. I was using her back. Yeah. We were using each other. That's the nature of celebrity. Everybody is using each other. No, it makes sense. It totally makes um, sense. So Paris Hilton never sued you, but um, presumably some other celebrities, like, have not been very happy with things you've said about them over the years have has it gotten to lawsuits where someone you know defamation or anything like that oh yeah i got a ton of lawsuits when i was starting out for a variety of different reasons in the beginning it was mainly just because i didn't know what i was doing right and and i was also like listening to the advice of people which was oh you can doodle on those photos because you it's fair use. You're, you're, you're painting them. You're altering them. And it's yeah. fair use. And you're commenting and all this stuff. But but it's really expensive to fight lawsuits. Mm-hmm. And, and and I don't want them. And it's time-consuming and all of these things. And I got sued for a bunch of photo-related issues. And the thing is, like, tons of people are doing now what I was doing then. It's just once you start getting attention and once you start monetizing what you're doing, that's when you expose yourself to trouble. Mm -hmm. Do you still think that Katie Holmes was pregnant with an alien? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) But was she pregnant at all? God, that's so funny. Well, she was definitely pregnant. So was Beyonce, (laughs) the internet love conspiracy theory. What what was like a 2005 either a person or moment or something that was just so great and you miss and is kind of gone? Like someone who was the perfect 2005 celebrity who just doesn't exist anymore. Like in 2005, like I was talking about like Star Jones. Yes. Oh my time. God, <laughs> Star Jones. I, um, I was talking about her. And then of course I was talking about Brangelina, and oh my gosh, it's so awesome that we're talking about this because I coined them. Oh, I'm I know. Douchebag. I'm the douchebag that began <laughs> the nicknaming people thing. I don't really get enough credit for that. I coined Brangelina and I coined Tomcat. And I don't think Wikipedia has ever given me props <laughs> for that, but I did before anybody else, Angelina or Tomcat, I was. All right. Well, this is a mission for the Internet Explorer listeners to go out there and edit the Wikipedia pages for Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt to make it, let it be known that it was Perez Hilton who coined the phrases Tomcat and Brangelina. Perez, thank you so much for talking with us today. Yeah, thank um, you. Before we go, I just want to embarrass, and she uh, she has a PhD in, like, celebrity pop culture studies. She's actually a former professor, um, and her first academic paper in grad school was about your website, and she sent no. you in. She got an A on it, and apparently in 2006, she sent you an email saying, here's my paper I wrote about you. I got an A, and you responded and said, like, good work, bitch. <laughs> Oh, my God, that's amazing. Well, I, well, first of all, thank you. And secondly, you know, I've got to toot my own horn because I love doing that. I I am the hardest working person that I know. Like, I work and I still hustle super hard because I love what I do. And I also feel so grateful. Like, Mm. I was able to make something out of nothing. And I'm able to support my mom and my sister and now my children. And the keys to success 
I'll end with this. If anybody is listening who's young, what I tell college students or high school students when I speak to them, first, I tell them all the mistakes I made. And, and then I like to quote Sondheim because I'm a big gay like that. And I say, <laughs> you got to get a gimmick if you want to get ahead. And that's a line from the musical Gypsy. And, and then I say, then you have to work harder than everybody else. If you want to be incredibly successful, you have to work for it and work your ass off and work harder than everybody else. All right. Listen, listen to Perez, kids. <laughs> work your ass off. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the secret. Awesome. Perez, thank you so much for taking us back on this stroll down memory lane to the year 2005. Keep up the it good work. Fun. Thank you. Thank you. Um, have a great one. Hello. I'm back, thanks to a thing called editing. <laughs> Welcome back, Ryan. I missed you. Thank you. I, I missed you, too, in the time that I was gone. for de- That definitely happened. So every episode of this series, to tie it all together, we're gonna, me and Katie are going to ask each other a couple questions about that particular year. And, you know, when we were trying to figure out what we could ask each other, we, we figured there's only a few things that are, have really been unchanged about us in the span of time, really. So, um, so Katie, Katie, you want to go first? You want to, you want, you want to fire off our first question here? Yeah, uh, Ryan, my question for you is: I want to know how did you find porn in two thousand and five? Okay, so this is like pretty. This is pretty gross, but not as gross as it could be, I suppose. Okay, so there was a website. I don't know if it still exists, but it was called PassesForTheMasses.com, and it was like a message board that I don't even remember how I found the message board in the first place but the big thing was dozens of dudes would like hack into popular porn sites and get username and passwords and then share the username and passwords to those porn sites on a message board it was sort of like half looking at porn on the internet and half like the thrill of getting into the back door (laughs) lol of like a porn site to like look at videos (laughs) this seems like a lot of work i know and like i'm sure there was an easier way to do it but like it was it was like it was like I was in the Matrix, but at the end of the Matrix, I got to masturbate, which is great, you know? Like that's that's the way the Matrix probably should have ended. <laughs> okay, Katie. Uh, <laughs> Katie, uh-huh. I got a question for you, all right? Yes. How were you hurting people's feelings on the internet in 2005? Um, so I would say that 2005 was really before my peak uh hurting other people's feelings on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I at, at this point in my life, in the year 2005, I mostly was using the internet for sort of, you know, peer-to-peer messaging and whatnot. Like, I wasn't really creating content that was supposed to go out there into the world. Right. You know, I lurked a lot, but I wouldn't, you know, on 4chan and things like that, but I wouldn't really comment. So a lot of the, you know, the kind of feelings I would hurt, you know, is sort of gossiping in IM G-chat conversations, um, you know, the, obviously the devastation, should you say, unfriend someone Whoa, on MySpace. yeah, okay. And, you know, this is a weird period of time where, like, people are sort of just figuring out, like, the rules of how to behave on social right. networking and social media and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, I, I, I sort of, you know, Probably, I mean, I, I try to be nice to people, <laughs> to, to people I know at least. So I feel like this was actually a low point for me in terms of hurting people's feelings on the internet. It's good to know that at some point in your life, you know, you you had respect for people's privacy and what they did on the internet. That's 
it's kind of like meeting Lex Luthor before you know he he meets Superman and becomes obsessed and tries to kill Superman. <laughs> Ryan, I mean, this is something that is extremely important for me to know right now. Yeah. How were you stealing content in 2005? This is probably the yeah. I was what 14, 15. So yeah, I was stealing so much music, and I believe 2005 was also the rise of the music blog. Are, are you familiar with this whole sort of phenomenon where these bloggers would uh, find a, a put locker or a file share site, a mega upload type site, and they would zip up an album mm-hmm. and then you could download the album. So, and then there were like these private groups for BitTorrent because BitTorrent was like, uh, if it wasn't on the scene in 2005, it was just around the corner. So there was all these different ways to steal music. Yeah. I feel like depending on how you stole music, you would get different stuff. Like BitTorrent was all about like the Flame and Lips and Radiohead and Boards of Canada and like all that like, you know, pompous stuff. And then like on the music blog side, you'd get like bands. You get like rock bands, you get like punk bands, ska stuff. You get old stuff, like weird, like hardcore songs. And then the file sharing app like Kazaa, LimeWire, you'd get like the dance music and the remixes and stuff like that. So it was a very exciting time. I was basically just, you know, stealing as much music as possible and loading it into this giant, iPod and then cataloging it like a lunatic in my iTunes. It was looking back on it like I, I'm. You, I, I feel Ryan. You know what I was really into. What? Um, was I don't. Did you ever use Soulseek? I did not use Soulseek, but I knew of it. So I was super into Soulseek. That was my personal favorite way of stealing content. And what I really liked about that was that, as you were describing, being organized with your MP3 collection was extremely important. And this sort of really prioritized that. So what you could actually do is you could search for an album you wanted. And it was really good for, like, indie rock music. Um, So you could search for an album you wanted. And if you found that album, you could see the person who you were downloading it from. And then you could go and look at that person's entire library. And you could just download as much as you wanted from that person. So I did a lot of that. It also had its own, like, little chat rooms where you could go in and, like, discuss music with, like, people. And I would I would hang out in the chat room and, like, talk about indie rock with people and like, <laughs> file sharing and stuff. So that that actually brings us to our, our last question of, of, uh, of our, our Q&A here. So, Katie, you know, you're you're older, you're wiser, you know, you're you're pretty hip. Um, and so and I'm not I and I have never been. Um, so I got to ask you. You know, in 2005, when I was being a dumb teenager in the suburbs, what was cool? What were you doing and what was cool in 2005? I mean, I think that a key element of what was cool in 2005, and this is going to sound counterintuitive, was not really being on the internet that much. Yeah. And the, the reason for that is, like, this was at a weird point where, like, not everyone had a MySpace. Some people did. Some people didn't. And, like often the coolest people you know wouldn't because they just be like, nah, whatever, I'm not into it. I mean, I think that that's not really true now. Like now, if you refuse to be on social media at all, like you just seem like you're like a tinfoil hat person or something like that's It's weird, you know, like it's not really optional in your life at this point. Like you can't not have any Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Like that's that's just weird. Right. How would you do life if you didn't have any of those things? But in 2005, it kind of was optional. And, like, you didn't need it if you were, like, really cool and didn't care about that kind of stuff. that That makes sense. That's my theory.
tune in. Will Y2K kill us all? Find out next week. <laughs> yeah, um, the third and final episode in our Years to Change the Internet series is going to be next week. Do you remember Y2K? Oh, man, I was genuinely scared. Yeah, spoiler, we did die, and this is hell. Uh, that's what that's what this is. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan and I are trapped in hell. Thank you so, so, so much to all our guests, to Professor Ann Helen Peterson, uh, Tila Tequila, Perez Hilton, and Nicole Milfie. Thank you all so much. If our producer Julia Furlan had a MySpace username, it'd be Juju Fur, and all of the photos would be her like smoking a giant bong with cat ears on. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. If uh, Jenna Weiss Berman had a uh, MySpace username. It would be XXX Jenna, but all alternating capitalized letters, XXX69. Eleanor Kagan would be one of those juggalos that would friend you and then immediately post like Craigslist ads all over your wall until you had to remove them. <laughs> yeah, Eleanor definitely would be a juggalo. <laughs> oh my God, that just reminded me that like... About 2005 was the first time I ever saw Juggalo dating websites. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they were so good. If Meg Kramer <laughs> had a MySpace user profile name, she would also be a Juggalo. Let's be real. <laughs> Number one Juggalo. And she would be uh, Wicked with two Ks. <laughs> wicked Hatchet Fan Girl. Uh, G-U-R-L. Oh, nice. Nice. And thank you for Tan Lines for uh, giving us the, the non-chocolate rain music included in this week's episode. Yeah, you're no ICP, but thank you anyways. And then, you know, it, it's true because before that, YouTube wasn't even around for these video streaming things. This, this is how YouTube came about also from my ideas.